Hello everyone, welcome to Pap Stories and this is your host Sankit Thakur. Now the word Pap here is a shorter version of research papers and nothing else. Now this is a podcast where I talk to different PhD students about their research work and a paper of their own choice. In today's episode, I will talk to Siddharth Swaroop, who is a final year PhD student at the University of Cambridge. His work mostly focuses on using Bayesian methods on large-scale neural network models. Previously, he has given multiple talks at Harvard, Microsoft Research, and many other places talking about his work in his domain. It is indeed a pleasure to host you today on this episode. So Siddharth, welcome again, and why don't you give us a little more introduction of yourself and what you are currently focusing on in your PhD. Of course. Uh, so I am just finishing my PhD actually in, in Cambridge, University of Cambridge, supervised by Professor Richard Turner. Um, and my PhD is sort of, I guess, being focused on Bayesian ways of approaching neural networks um, and specifically variational Bayesian ways. We can talk about that later. Um, but I've used it, I've been using these methods to train neural networks, hopefully in some kind of better way, um, hopefully, uh, at larger, larger and larger scales, uh, looking at the performances. I've also been very uh, interested in uh, continual learning, which is where you get data arriving sequentially, and sort of this data can change, but you still want to perform well. And I've been looking at how these same variational Bayesian techniques for neural networks can perform well or not in the continual learning setting. Great. Um, interestingly, I have been talking recently to other PhD students working on Bayesian inference learning and who are trying to incorporate Bayesian advantages into neural networks. And the most common view which I get is that there's already so much work which has been done and it is really a tough task to achieve the particular goal. So I want to understand from you that uh, what is your perspective on this and do you think there is still a huge scope or potential in this domain? Great question. Uh, so my view is that sort of approaching learning through a Bayesian lens provides or has the potential to provide a lot of benefits. Now, the big problem, especially at a large scale like neural networks, is that you can't be exactly Bayesian. You ha- it is intractable and you have to make approximations. And these approximations then start hurting you, and you may or may not see these benefits. And you, loosely speaking, sort of the more approximations you make, the the quicker your algorithm is to run usually, and sort of this probably leads to worse performance over on a right in a variety of ways, uh, depending on how you define performance. But I really think it's worth pushing because of the potential benefits that you can get. And, and these include things like performing well in low data settings, uh, robustness to overfitting, use in sort of downstream tasks, because you have these good, hopefully good uh, calibration of uncertainty. And, and this hopefully should show in downstream tasks, such as continual learning, um, or active learning, and, and so on. There are many, many of these uh, sort of subfields that have that have started because of the in this low data regime where you know you need good calibration or uncertainty calibration in small data settings like few shot learning, active learning, and so on. So I really think by pushing on Bayesian approaches to neural networks, you have the opportunity to try and improve performance on all of these 
tasks at once. And that's the eventual goal. Obviously, you take small steps and, and you don't see it all immediately, but that's, that's what I believe. So Bayesian learning, yes, performs better when there is small chunks of data in one go. And the reason I say it performs better is because it just becomes computational expense rises a lot when you have larger and larger data sets. I guess that is part of, uh, attacking that issue is part of what the paper that we might discuss later is about, where we're trying to scale up Bayesian uh, or deep learning using Bayesian principles. Uh, and the hope with these kinds of things is that we, you know, we, we do have to make some more approximations, but if we make the right approximations in the right way, then you can actually handle larger quantities of data. Now, in real life, I think, I think it's fair to say, uh, if you consider how we, you know, what kind of data a human is getting or, or a robot would be getting in the real world, that they, it would arrive usually in small chunks of data. Like as you walk around the world, as you learn something new, you, you don't see, you know, image net size, one million images up. You know, one million images in one go. You, you see small amounts in one go and you're con continuously trying to update that and learn. So. All right. So speaking of which, we should move to the paper of the day. So why don't you go ahead and tell us which paper are we discussing today? Of course. Uh, so the paper is Practical Deep Learning with Bayesian Principles. It's done with a host of co-authors. And this paper is about uh, scaling up uh, variational Bayesian neural networks. So, so kind of what we set out to do and what we did is scale to ImageNet. And by variational uh, Bayesian neural networks, I mean neural networks where instead of, you know, with SGD or Adam, when you train a neural network, you'll normally just have deterministic point rates that you are training for. Um, so your neural network works, you're just learning one value for each of them. Now we want to learn the distribution over each of the weights, um, and we're actually learning a Gaussian distribution, a mean field Gaussian approximation. So there's a different Gaussian distribution of each of the weights, and we want to learn the means variances over each of them. Problem is that current, or, or pre, so this paper is a couple of years old now, but previous techniques for variational Bayesian neural networks, for training them, were very slow. Uh, they would often optimize, I mean, you can write down the objective function, you can optimize for your means and variances, but it's extremely slow. And so we take a natural gradient approach to that, to, to, to this learning problem. And this leads to an algorithm uh, called Vogon, which uh, sort of speeds up convergence drastically. And then we apply some more tricks uh, to try and speed it up more. Nice. So in a nutshell, you can say that this paper proposes a perspective on training patient neural networks that motivates how to best incorporate different tricks such as batch normalization and momentum into Bayesian neural network training. Also, you incorporate one of your previous methods that you just mentioned, Wagen, from a previous paper, one of your previous paper. And um, as far as I understood, you create some functions in Wagen, which is kind of differentiable in nature, such as atom in neural networks. So can you talk a little bit more on that? Sure. Uh, so Vogan is a way is is a natural gradient variation inference algorithm. It stands for variational online Gaussian, I believe, VOGN Vogan. Um, and basically, it starts from the variational objective function. So in variation inference, you have the elbow for if you if you know what it is, and that you can optimize that single objective function for for your Gaussian parameters in various ways. And if you take this natural gradient VI view to it, VI variational inference view to it, then sort of you can derive various algorithms. And there's this paper by Carnatal in 2018, I believe, where they propose a bunch of algorithms. 
and there's also uh, other papers that have also from other groups that have done some of the things. And so, so the one big I'm going to focus on is from Carnatal, my co-authors, and um, they propose a bunch of algorithms, one of which is Vogan. And so Vogan, uh, the way that they, they they write that they derive these algorithms, they start from the elbow, the, the variational objective function, and make a series of approximations. And I, and I like that view because you can sort of tell exactly which approximation is coming in when and which one's important, like, and try and figure out which one's important. And you end up with this algorithm Morgan, which has two steps to it uh, per iteration, kind of similar, well, it is very similar to Adam or, or RMS prop, where you have one update for the mean, uh, one update step for the mean, and one update step for the variances or precision in Morgan. Whereas with Adam and RMS prop, it's not called the variance, it's called like the exponential moving average or something. Uh, I, I can't remember, but it's called something else, this S vector. And Vaughan derived from this way ends up having a very, very similar form to these other algorithms like Adam and RMS prop. Indeed. Also, you mentioned that this paper is about using Bayesian neural network on large scale image datasets. And you also validated this in your paper by trying out your method on different datasets, such as ImageNet and Cypher for classification task. And it does perform relatively similar, if not very well, as compared to other deep neural network models. So it is quite good. Also, moving ahead, uh, one more thing which I find interesting is that Bayesian optimization approaches this optimization task using a method known as surrogate function. Now, as we both know that the surrogate function is formed on sampling points from a data set, which kind of later finds out the global minima from, from, uh, from the entire data set. Now, I want to understand, doesn't this sampling of point leads to a trade-off between exploration and exploitation? I think, ideally, if you have a distribution over, say, your parameters in, in, in a Bayesian way, then that will tell you this exploration versus exploitation trade-off. And I refer back to the perennial problem that you can't be exactly Bayesian in the approximations you make. So that's obviously not going to work out in general. So then you might have some parameters that try and trade off, let's say, exploration, exploitation, if you apply it to reinforcement learning or active learning or continual learning or one of these sort of sequential kind of tasks. Yeah. So in terms of exploration and exploitation and sequential tasks, that's what I'd say. In terms of generalizability, yes, uh, Bayesian approaches, especially something like what we've been discussing with, with the Gaussian, take averages around a minimum. Um, so, so you sample many times from around this local point. And you hope that by doing this kind of model averaging, uh, you would have better robustness and generalizability. You might find, you, you hope that you find a better minimum and you sort of have these intuitions about what should happen. Whereas if you didn't have a distribution of your parameters, if you just had a point estimate, you just find a local minimum. This might be a very sharp minimum and might not be, you know, generalizable in various ways. Although, of course, with neural networks, people have managed to use SGD to find very generalizable minima. The hope is this averaging should be better. Great. So the paper which we are discussing is a 2019 paper. And sure, this does perform on par with deep neural models, if not better. But has there been any improvement on this or have you been working on lately on this to improve the results of Bayesian neural network as compared to deep neural models because there's still the state of the art on 
the classification models if we compare them to the Bayesian neural networks? So yes, we showed that our method Morgan performed, like say in terms of raw accuracies, as well as SGD and Adam. Um, but, a, but a key thing to note there is that it is a little bit slower. It's not much slower, but it is a little bit like up to two times or sometimes more, depending on various hyperparameter settings. It can be slower. So that is an issue, of course, especially as you go to larger larger models still. But yeah, I mean, this paper itself showing that even twice as slow, you can still get as good performance in the MishNet was, I think, a, a very commendable thing that we managed to do, even in retrospect. And there has been follow-up work to this, but this follow-up work hasn't really scaled to super large, arc, um, or not, or it depends on your definition of the word large, but it hasn't changed to, say, uh, ImageNet size. We haven't done that, but we have looked at improving the bargain there. And this is what some of my co-authors have done, especially. Okay. And there are various ways you can do that and you can have different approximations when deriving Morgan and so on. In fact, recently uh, there's this competition in the Bayesian Deep Learning Workshop at Neurips, uh, which tried to look at, you know, what are good Bayesian Deep Learning algorithms, but it only scaled to CIFAR 10, I, I believe, ResNet, I can't remember. So, so that's the kind of size that people have been looking at, I think, recently. Great, so we are slowly moving towards the end of the podcast. There's this one generic question which I want to ask. Uh, so what are you, you are currently focusing on in your PhD or what are the other projects which you are currently involved with? So one thing I've been focusing a lot on recently has been continual learning, as I mentioned. Um, and I've been looking at sort of ways to form this continuous adaptation in a, and sort of sort of analyze what is ideal, how, how can you approach this ideal um, and, and things like this. Uh, so I guess my recent papers have been along this line, and especially we've been looking at sort of functional regularization, which, which is where you sort of regularize the outputs of your neural network directly instead of just the weights. I'm actually sort of, now that I'm approaching the end of my PhD, I'm, I'm going to do a postdoc actually, and this is going to be on slightly different things as well, uh, looking a little bit into human-computer interaction and so on, which I'm very excited to learn more about. Great. Uh, I also noticed on your website that you have been giving technical talks all around the world, um, which was quite fascinating for me. Very easy when there's COVID and everything is virtual. <laughs> yes. Also, I saw that you have recently started writing blog posts on the research work which you have done. Uh, apart from that, you want to talk about other things which you have been doing in your PhD? Yeah, um, I, I decided to write these blog posts right on natural gradient BI and so on uh, some time ago. I thought it'd be a good a good way to, you know, get some other people interested. Um, especially as, frankly, I it took me a while to understand what natural gradient BI was. What are, what are the equations? Why does it work? Why doesn't why does it not work? Thank God, I, I was thinking myself that I'm stupid enough to not understand in like two or three days, but I have. So <laughs> no, 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 it took it took a long time for me yeah. as well. And uh, from chatting with other people in my group and other people as well, it takes them a while. So I thought, you know, it'd be nice to have everything in one place. If no one else, if no one else finds it useful, it's useful for me at least. So <laughs> spend some time writing those. Nah, uh, yeah, giving talks. Uh, I think it's always nice. You always get nice questions and so on from people if, if they genuinely find your research interesting, which I think always sort of validates what you're doing a little, which is nice. Amazing. So with this, we have reached the end of the podcast. And I just want to thank you, Siddharth, for taking out your time on Friday morning. And it was really lovely to talk with you on the research which we have been doing. Yeah, and thanks for having me. It's been great. Hit that follow button to keep meeting new people. 
and talk about their research work and getting to know exciting papers 